It sure does. We're going to do the second, we're going to kind of get into the second half of chapter uh, 14 today. So um, I will pray for us. I want to begin with a little introduction, kind of get our heads back into things, and then let's dive in. Lord, as we gather together, I just want to be able to um, hear, again, your word that shapes who we are and how we live. And uh, Lord, that's what you're trying to do here in this great book that we call Romans. It's a letter uh, to people not unlike us uh, that helps us think about, okay, here's, here's how to live out your faith. And so, Lord, um, help us think about that under the calling that you've given us and, and take it in. And, Lord, may we find some, some value and some strength in it. We pray in Jesus' name. Let's say it together. Amen. Okay. What we've been kind of looking at really for several chapters is this idea that the way that I live, just think of it this simply, the way that I live impacts and affects my ability to really share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. Just think about that. The way that I live impacts my capacity, my ability to really effectively share the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. If I'm going out into the world and I'm living in a way that's, that's really antithetical to faith, um, it diminishes my ability to what? To share the gospel of Jesus Christ. People look at me, that, that guy's a jerk. That guy's a, you know what, I, I, I don't, whatever he stands for, I'm, I'm, I, I don't want anything to do with it. And it, it really makes me think about this. Paul's talking directly to some of those things that we do that get in the way of our ability to share the gospel. Uh, the first half of chapter 14, as an example, he's talking about the way Christians judge each other, the way we judge each other. Um, I, I can tell you as a fact that one of the hardest things for me to, to hear <clears throat> in our world today are non-Christians <clears throat> who would say, hey, the reason that I, I don't want to have anything to do with the, the church is it is judgmental. Now, Sometimes what they're really saying is, sometimes what they're really saying is, I don't want anybody to tell me how to live, right? I want to be able to live the way I want to live, and nobody should, nobody should have the right to judge me. How do, we, how do we live with that tension? Well, you know, part, of, part of who we are as Christians is recognizing that uh, I cannot judge another person's faith. That's for God alone to do, right? However, I, I can judge, the, the term is kreneo in Greek, I can determine to look at and determine whether or not something you're doing or saying really is in accordance with the will of God. I, I can do that, right? Uh, I can watch somebody and I can say, listen, this, this person right here is, is stealing from his company. I can tell that person that is outside of the will of God. Is that judgmental? It's, it's, I'm judging. Is it judgmental? No. It's simply a recognition that there are, are in, a, in a very objective way, uh, things that people do, things that people say, that we can, according to the Word of God, recognize is either in accordance with His will or outside of accord with His will. Now, how, how do I respond when somebody is living outside of God's will and I recognize it? This is what he's talking about. Don't we don't go simply put that in someone's face. You're look at how you're living. Look at what you're doing. We 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 approach somebody 
right? With love, patience, care, and desire that they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ if they don't, or that their way of life is, is, act, is actually, um, um, you know, com, comes, comes under the, the word of God, comes into contact with it. Uh, so what Paul is saying is when we're judgmental of each other, hey, you, you did this, you did that, you did this, you did that. What people outside the church are doing is they're looking at the church saying, I don't want anything uh, to do with that. So I think the tension is hard to live out, but it's, it's very, very real. As we get into this next section, we're going to talk a little bit about how we cause each other sometimes to stumble in our faith, and particularly uh, new Christians. What, what, I, what I wrote down for myself, I said, you know what, sometimes... I think I live, I'm just going to speak personally, so sometimes I think I live in a way that's actually offensive to the gospel. I mean, I, th I think I do. I'll say things. I'll, I'll say things with words, sometimes just, just non-verbally. I'll make judgments. And I think, you know what, that's antithetical. I'm antithetical to the gospel. When, when I am antithetical to the gospel, there's three things that are important to me. Number one is, Luke, don't pretend to be something that you're not. Our world values authenticity. Uh, I want to be that person that says to, to the world, I'm not perfect. I am going to say words. I'm going to do things that actually hurt people. I, I recognize that. I am. Okay. The second thing that, that I want to recognize is that when I am antithetical to the gospel, I need to, I need, I need to come under grace. You need, to, you need to come into grace. When Paul addresses the way that we live and says, hey, the way you live affects your ability to share the gospel, we, we already know, guess what, I am. I'm, I'm going to go out and I'm going to screw up. I'm going to say things, do things, hurt people, and guess what, I need grace. I need to come under the grace of Jesus Christ. Part of, part of living under grace is being able to say, yes, I'm, I will fail. Many times I will fail people. Uh, third thing is I need to ask Jesus Christ to change me. I don't know about you, but are there things about yourself that you would say to you would say, I, I really tried to change this about me over and over and over and over again, and I can't do it. But is that true for you? Because it's definitely true for me. And so part, part of, of thinking about how we live under the gospel of Jesus Christ is recognizing, guess what, I don't have the, the power to change myself. And, and so that's the last thing I want to put in front of you. One of the things that... that Paul's reiterating throughout Romans is the need for us to be living in a rhythm, a spiritual rhythm that gives the Holy Spirit room to operate in our lives, a chance to operate in our lives. Um, when I talk to people about their faith practices, you know, so often I run into Christians whose faith practices include a rhythm of say, uh, that, that sounds something like this. Well, I go to church when I can. I'm like, how, how will the Spirit have room to work in you? Do you read the Bible? No, I really don't read the Bible. Uh, how, how will the Spirit work in you? How, talk to me about your prayer life. Well, every, every once in a while we'll say, uh, like, come Lord Jesus at the table. I'm like, how will the Spirit... In other words, what Paul's going to talk to us about is how do, you, how do you build your life in a way where you have those rhythms where the word is, is coming into you, the spirit is interacting with you, and God is changing you and causing you to become 
the person that um, he wants you to be. How many of you read blogs? How many of you like blogs? Any, any of you guys blog, blog readers? I was going to recommend one if you've never read a blog. If it's the first blog you read, you'll like it. It's, uh, you know how to get a blog, right? There's, there's Mark Stouse over there. I don't have a clue, right? Okay. Now that's an authentic answer, Mark. <laughs> if you don't have a clue, you find, what do you do? If you can't figure out how to get a blog, what do you do? Find a kid. Just find any one of them. Say, hey, I have no clue how to get a blog. He'll get you a blog. Here's the name of the blog. I, I, I think you'd have fun looking at it. It's called The Very Worst Missionary. That's the name of the blog. And I remember reading that thing years ago. I'm like, man, this is actually a good blog. Because it's this missionary. He goes, man, I am like a horrible missionary. I'm terrible at what I do. I did this today. I did that today. And the person is just being authentic. They're recognizing that we're people. We do dumb things. We, we act in a way that's opposite of what we say we want to be. And this is really what Paul's saying is, don't live under the law, live under the grace of Jesus Christ, but for goodness sakes, live inside of rhythms that are allowing the Holy Spirit, that room to work in you and to change you and to cause you to become the person that uh, he, wants you, he wants you to be. So the first half of chapter uh, 14, don't live in judgment with one another. That behavior will diminish your, your gospel witness. As we get to the second half, what he's going to talk to us about is live, live in a way that does not place barriers or stumbling blocks into the lives, particularly of those who are new to the faith. Have you ever caused someone? Have you ever caused someone, particularly someone new to the faith, to actually stumble spiritually? Have you ever caused someone to stumble spiritually? That, that's the question he's asking. Uh, I'm going to say it differently. You and I may have rights under the gospel of Jesus Christ. But remember this. There are times that God asks us to give up our rights for the sake of another person. Um, we live in a world that tends to say, well, I have the right to do this. I have the right to do this. Nobody can take that away from me. God said I could do this. I'm going to do this. And we do things that sometimes may cause people to stumble. I'm going to give you some examples of that as we get into this. Let's go to verse 13. Here we begin the second half. Paul says, therefore, let us not pass, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather... Let us make judgment. I don't know if your translation has it the way mine does. Mine uses a word that I don't think captures what we need to. Mine says, but rather let us decide to never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I prefer this. Let, let us make judgment that we not place a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of of a brother. Uh, by the way, is there a difference between the two? Let us not, he says, let, let us make judgment never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in front of people. Is there a difference between a stumbling block and a hindrance? There, there actually kind of is. And, and the, the designation sounds a little bit like this. Uh, a stumbling block, Greek word, is a scandalon, a scandal. Right? It's something 
that we would we would maybe say or do that would cause a person to, to think, oh, if I did that, it would be a sin. And it's not a sin, right? Uh, and so we cause that person to stumble. Uh, a hindrance is the word, I like this word, a hindrance is the word proskoma. Uh, so if, if I were to put you into a coma, <laughs> that's, actually the, that's actually the verb that's used here, proskoma, towards a coma. What I'm doing is I'm putting a thought in your mind or I'm teaching you something about Christianity that causes you to, to pull back and ask yourself, oh, I wonder if I'm okay. I wonder if I'm right. I wonder if I'm sinning. I wonder if I'm doing wrong. I wonder if that's right to do. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying we need to live in a way where we're very careful about the words that we say, the things that we teach, and, and, and the, the hindrances that we might put in front of people. Now he's going to give us an example of what, uh, of what that looked like in his day uh, as you begin verse uh, 14. Uh, and I will tell you that it has to do with food. All right, let's go to verse 14. He says, I know and, and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in itself. He's talking about food. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Hmm. All right, so we have two people. They're Christians. We've got some food. This Christian over here says... And I cannot wait to dig in because this table is set in a beautiful way. We've got beans, the barbecue kind, with bacon in them. You gotta have bacon in them. We got ribs here, pulled pork over here. Are you starting to salivate? Because I am, right? <laughs> we got cornbread here. And this Christian is standing over here and he goes, man, I cannot wait to dig in. I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat those ribs. I want a pulled pork sandwich. Give me some of those. Hit me with those beans. This is going to be a great day. This Christian over here is like this. <gasps> that food's unclean. You can't eat that food. If you eat that food, it's a sin. This particular Christian happens to be kind of new to the faith. They came out of Judaism, as many of the people in Rome did. And they grew up learning what? You can't eat bacon. You definitely cannot eat ribs. If you want to eat the beans, pull the bacon out, and maybe you can have the beans, right? Where did they get that idea from? Where does that come from? In other words, let me, let me even ask the question a little bit more essentially. What is it in the Old Testament that made food clean? And what is it that made food unclean? All right? So if you want to do this, I mean, you can turn if you want to, don't if you don't. But if you turn to Leviticus chapter 11, you kind of get an idea of how a Jew grew up, right? If we grew up in the Jewish church, you go to, you go to chapter 11, and, and all of a sudden, beginning with verse number 9, you get this list of foods that you may and may not eat. Um, it actually begins with, with verse 1. I'm going to take you down to, uh, to verse 9. But I can tell you by verse number 9, pork like our ribs and our bacon are out. They're already gone. And now we're going to add to the list. Look at verse number 9. It says, These are the foods you may eat, all that are in the waters, everything in the water, that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers you may eat. But if it's in the seas or the rivers and it doesn't have fins or scales, or the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters, it's detestable to you. Can't eat it. Fried catfish are really good. 
especially with hush puppies. And you can't eat them because they don't meet this qualification. Right? They're out. They're detestable to you. Verse 11 says, you should regard them as detestable. You should not eat any of their flesh, and you should detest their carcasses. Don't even touch them. Detest it. Oh, that is, yeah, oh, don't touch that catfish. Ugh, oh. Verse 12, everything in the waters that has not fins and scales, it's all detestable to you. Hmm. And verse 13, and these you shall detest amongst the birds. They shall not be eaten. They're detestable. The eagle, don't eat an eagle. A bearded vulture. I was thinking of having a bearded vulture sandwich for lunch. You know, I'm like, <laughs> hit me with one of those bearded vultures, yeah. The black vulture, the kite, the falcon, or any kind, every raven of the kind, the ostrich, can't eat him, the night hawk, the seagull, the hawk, the little owl, the, the cormorant, the short-eared owl, the barn owl, the town owl, just stay away from owls. Don't touch the owls. The carrion vulture, the stork, the heron of any kind, and the hopo. And the bat. They need to have that like emblazoned in every market in China. <laughs> do not eat a bat, right? Don't do it. Why? It's detestable. All winged insects that go on all fours. You know what's detestable to me? Ever watch these food shows where they go, you know, they go to, to like a foreign place and you know, you get get into these places and, and people are like, Man, I want some scrambled eggs with maggots. And you see, I mean, they, they, they don't just scoop like one or two. They scoop a giant big old thing of maggots down into that, those eggs. And there's people chomping on them like, listen, you need to read the Bible, people. What does it say? Detestable. Verse 21, among the winged insects that go on all fours, you may eat those that have jointed legs above their feet with which to hop on the ground. Those you can eat. Okay. So you can eat grasshoppers and locusts. And they're especially good, I understand, I haven't tried one, but I understand they're especially good if you soak them in hot sauce and then kind of bake them. Pretty good stuff. These you may eat, the locust of any kind, the bald locust of any kind, the cricket of any kind, the grass. Okay, I'm just going to stop here. What is it that made all of these foods unclean? What made them unclean? It's kind of interesting. Over the years, I've heard Christians try to parse it out this way. They'll say, well, what makes them unclean is they're not good for you. Catfish isn't good for you. Luke, you shouldn't be eating all those ribs. That's bad for your heart. Cardiologists don't eat all the ribs, right? Fried catfish, my goodness gracious, what are you thinking, son? Don't eat the fried catfish. It's not good for your body, right? We've tried to do that. It's not what makes them unclean. Here's what's going on. In Leviticus, God is doing what? He's speaking to Israel. And what is he doing with Israel? He's saying, I am taking you as a nation and I'm sending you apart from the world. You're going to be different from the world. You're not going to, your marriages are going to be different. Um, the rhythms of life that you're going to live out are going to be centered in festivals that, that honor me and, and worship in morning sacrifices and rituals that are going on. And by the way, even the food that you eat is going to be different than the world. And so I, God, am going to give you the list of things you can and you cannot eat. And we, as human beings, step up and we say, well, why can't I eat it? I wanted a bearded vulture sandwich today. And God says, because I said you should not eat it. It's the only thing 
that makes the bearded vulture and the insects, the maggots and the eggs. It's the only thing that actually makes them unclean is not that they're bad. They're not bad. It's just that when God created Israel, he said, I'm making you into a particular people that are set apart from the world. You're going to live differently. And these things that I've named for you, I do not want you to eat. So here's this Christian, and he's looking at your table, and he's saying, uh, uh, I, we should not be eating those beans with bacon in them, right? And the ribs are out. I'll have, I'll have some cornbread, please. And what, what Paul is saying is, well, you as a Christian, you're like, are you insane? Jesus came. He fulfilled all the law. Those laws no longer apply to us. And all those foods that are listed in Leviticus, they're not bad. They're good. We can eat them. This Christian goes, oh, no, 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 we are not going to eat that food, that if you eat that food, that's a sin. Now, if I, this Christian, were to say, well, then fine, eat your cornbread. I don't care. I'm having the ribs. I'll eat them all. <laughs> it's better that way anyway. Good thing you're not eating. What am I doing to this person over here? Putting a stumbling block in front of them. They're new to the faith. They can't sort this thing out. They, they really are. They're stuck in the law. And so what Paul is saying is, as a Christian, I really need to recognize that fellow Christians, particularly those that are coming into the faith, you know what? I need to put down my rights. I have a right to do that. I'll put down my rights in order to do it, to serve the person who, who still needs to grow away. Because it's not about food. It's about faith. And this is what Paul is saying. Let me give you one more example of this. Flip over to Acts chapter 10. And again, go down to verse number 9 there. And uh, you can kind of see this play out in this familiar uh, scene from the scriptures where, where Peter, uh, of all people, is being called uh, to, to recognize that something is changing, right? That in the New Testament, something is changing. That we're making a movement. We're moving from Israel recognized predominantly as a, as a physical group of people to recognizing that, no, 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 all along Israel has been a spiritual body of people. So what does it mean for you to go out amongst the Gentiles and win them for the, for the gospel, which was anathema to a Jew? Oh, no, no, we don't go out amongst the Gentiles. So the way, the way that God did this in Peter's life, go down to Acts chapter 10, verse 9, is remember it says the next day they were on their journey approaching the city. Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour, noon, to pray. He's in the rhythms of faith. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat, food. But while they were preparing it, he fell into a, uh, again, I like to call it kind of a, 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 a vision. He falls into a vision, a state of, of movement from I'm here and now to wait a minute God is showing me something through a vision here's the vision it says I saw the heavens open up and something like a great sheet descending being let down by its four corners upon the upon the earth in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air and there came a voice to me saying rise Peter kill and eat but Peter said this is our English version. By no means, Lord, for I have never 
eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time and said, what God has made clean, do not call common. There's, there's a lot in that, right? In other words, what's being recognized through the voice of, of God is this movement from Old Testament, I'm under these Levitical laws, to, no, we're moving in a new direction. These laws are fulfilled. Don't call what God has made clean common. This happened three times. Three times, Peter sees this, the, these sheets lowered down and all of these animals and creatures and whatever that I'm not supposed to eat. And in essence, what, what he hears is this voice saying to him, Peter, kill and eat. And his response all three times is, excuse me for saying it this way, hell no. I'm not doing it. This is God talking to him, by the way. Hell no, I'm not eating that because I'll tell you what, that's unclean. He's over here. He's a Jew. And I'm not going to eat that. Why did God do this to Peter? Why? Why did God do this to Peter? Did it shake him up? Absolutely shook him up. But what is he trying to say to him? Something's changing, Peter. Don't, don't call something unclean that now I have made what? Clean. So that in this New Testament era, uh, as we move forward, the, the Christians recognize, yes, we're able to eat these foods that in the past we would have said they're detestable and anathema, not because of anything other than God simply said, don't eat them. We are now free to eat them. The point here is what Paul is teaching the church is not about food. It's about faith. It's about, well, God says, I can do this. I have the right to do this. And you do have the right to do it. But I have to pay attention to other people because we want people, don't, I mean, isn't this true? We want people to come into the church that have no background, that have never read the Bible. Um, you know, when we talk about people coming out of, out of a, a law-based religion, coming out of Islam, they're coming into the church. We want them to come into the church. But if I'm coming out of Islam into the church, guess what? I need to be paying attention to is I have friends now in the church that really grew up, what, under the law. And so inside of them, there will be times that they're like really struggling with something that we're saying or we're doing. Like, oh, no, no, we can't, we can't do that. I just need to pay attention to my brother now in Christ. And this is what Paul says. If I don't do that, then I, again, I diminish my ability to really make a witness on behalf of the gospel. Um, let's go back to uh, our text here in Romans. Um, verse 15 kind of says it, I think, as plainly as you can get it. He says, <clears throat> if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. I need to, to walk in love with fellow Christians means I'm paying attention to what, what they need and what is causing them anguish inside of themselves. I'm paying attention to that, to walk in love. He says, by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. This brother who's looking at that food, I can't, I can't eat that. Don't, don't just eat it and say, well, it's my right. You're going you're gonna to hurt them. They're, they're wrestling with this. So walk along with them in love. 
help them take that journey. There will come a day, right, when they're able to say, oh, okay, I see, I see where Jesus has fulfilled the law. This is not about the law. This is about a God who loves me. By the way, I really do think about that a lot. Mustafa, I think about that with Islamic people. I really do. Uh, Suleiman, when I think about Islamic people, one of the things that causes them to just stop in the tracks is when you and I say to them, Jesus loves you. There's an intimacy to that. God is not just out there in heaven judging you. But he, he loves you, wants a relationship with you. Oh, wait a minute, what are you talking about? It's not how I grew up. I grew up under a law, right? So pay attention to people and walk with them in a way that loves them, that helps them come on board and really learn what does it mean uh, to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, verse 16, he says, don't, don't, let your, don't let your good be blasphemed. All right? you, you know, don't put yourself in a position where you're doing something that somebody else can't, can't see is, is right under the gospel and it ends up being blasphemed. It's just, it ends up being harmful uh, to the church. Um, uh, he, he, he goes on to say, verse 17, for the kingdom of God, and I like this. I think this is, this is um, key to this section. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Um, in other words, I'm not talking about food here. What I'm really talking about is how do we help people find, through Jesus Christ, peace. Peace with God. The law fulfilled in Jesus. How do we help people find joy in the Holy Spirit? How do we help them know that your righteousness comes through what Jesus Christ has done on the cross? Um, verse 18, he says, Whoever thus serves Christ is pleasing, is pleasing to God and is approved by men. By the way, which one of those is more important? Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and is approved by men. Which of those is, is more important? I mean, I, I want to be approved by God, right? But I don't want to use that as an excuse. Well, God approves this. I'm approved by God, so I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. I don't want to just do what I'm going to do if I know it may cause uh, problems or a stumbling block uh, for another person. I'm going to stop here and give you a little example. may not be a good one, but it's, I, think it, I think that it kind of fits because the reality is in our culture, we don't have people who will trip up over um, ribs and bacon. We don't. We do have people that will trip up over the law. Uh, that, that we have plenty of folks who will get stuck because I think you need to, to live this way and they have trouble with grace. They just have trouble with grace. Okay? But I want to give you an example that kind of goes back to my college days. Um, uh, Ann and I attended uh, Concordia College in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, if you've ever been there, yeah, Jason's giving me the thumbs up. If you've ever been to, uh, right on, if you've ever been to the college, there's a, there's a river back behind the college. And one of the fun things to do, you know, as a student would be to 
pack up and go down to the, the river and sit by there and watch, you know, watch people swimming or boats going by. And um, what happened is one morning, uh, one, of a, one of our students, who was a sweet mate of mine, uh, decided, he, he and his buddy decided, we're going to go take a swim. And we're going to swim across that river, and we're going to swim back. And so they, they drove, dove in, and the water was cold. And I don't think any of us know what was happening physically inside this young man's body, but about halfway across, he started to go under, just panicked. And um, his roommate is swimming beside him, watching this, and thinking, I've got to do something. I've got to save this guy. And um, the guy went down fast enough that as he reached, I mean, he was just, he was reaching for him and could not, couldn't get hold of him. And I'll tell you what, um, for the next almost day and a half, we as, as students got to experience what it means for divers to come in and helicopters to fly over, and now they're looking for a body. Um, because this was my sweet mate, uh, one of the professors said to me, hey, Luke, will you, will you spend the night with him because he, he's going to be in a bad place. He tried to, to get him and he couldn't. And so I did. I spent the night with him and, and we'll always remember that night as a night where he just poured his guts out. I, I could have got him. I could feel his hand and then it slipped and I, I just sh I should have dove down faster and I could, like, no, no, there's a, there's a day. God's named it. He's numbered it. It's your day. And we always like to say, well, you know, he died of drowning. I'm like, no, he didn't die of drowning. Well, what did he die of? He died of God. What do you mean? God marked that day. Drowning is the secondary cause of death. Primary is God. God gave us death as a gift. He will set you free from this veil of tears and place you before him to await the resurrection and the day when your body will be whole. That's what he gave us. But you know what? When you're a kid and you're sitting in that room and everything is spinning in your head, you, you can't sort that out. You cannot figure that out. And he was a mess. The professor told me, Luke, just, just stay up with him. Talk to him. We're going to give him some counseling. We're going to give him some help and just sit there. Well, I wasn't a counselor. I just sat there and listened and tried to speak into him. And that was it. When the day of the funeral came, it was, it was on campus. And it was to be officiated, and, and the proclaimer would be one of our, our profs. And the night before that funeral, here's what I remember. I remember gathering together, and there was a pretty good-sized group of us, including the, the sweet mate. And there was one young man who, I don't, I don't, I don't know what was inside of him or why, why this is true, but he was making a big deal out of, you know, this is a glorious day. Praise God that he's taken our brother into heavens and praise God. But, and that was, not, that was not the mood of the day. The mood of the day was sad. Well, we were weeping. And I remember somebody saying to me, somebody needs to shut that guy up. And I thought to myself, somebody needs to knock him out. I mean, uh, yeah. Because this is not appropriate, it's not good. Now, listen to me. Is what he was saying, was it true? It actually was true. In fact, in the Bible, we have these words, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I remember going up to him 
And I didn't knock him out. I simply said to him, you know what, brother, you've got a lot of joy in you, and I appreciate that, and I thank you for you know, sharing that joy. But i got to tell you right now, all the people that are here are sad. And here's what the Bible says. Rejoice with those who rejoice. There's not a lot of rejoicing yet. There will be. But it says weep with those who weep. It's time to weep. We have the rights. We have rights to do what God's given us to do. But sometimes what we do may be offensive to other people in the faith. And I know that's not the best of examples, but what I'm saying to you is in our world today, I really do want to watch how I walk with another person, particularly as they're coming into the faith, because I want to pay attention to what their needs are more so than mine. It's never about my puny rights. It's always about the other. How do I serve those with whom I walk in a way that allows them to really wrestle with? I mean, this Jew's going to have to, he's going to go through a wrestling match. The first time he picks up a rib, his fingers will be shaking because he'll say to himself, Mike, I can't, I can't do this. The first time Martin Luther served communion to a group of people, he had to stop and put it all down because he was scared to death. I'm going to spill the blood of Jesus Christ on the carpet, and it's a mortal, a mortal sin, and he put it down, and he couldn't do it. And sometimes the journeys that we have to take to get to a place where we recognize, no, God is a God of grace. If you spill that cup of wine, you spill it, and it's wine. But Luther doesn't know that. His hands are trembling, and he has to wrestle. He has to wrestle with what's causing him heartache. And what do you do with Luther? You don't say, I, what, just, just, what are you, just a, a wimp? Just pick up the thing and go. No, you're like, put it down, and we're going to pray together. And tomorrow we're going to talk about this. And you talk about it, and it may be 100 talks before that person looks at the scriptures with you and says, you mean... You mean it, it, if it's spilled, it's okay? Yeah, it's okay. So that's what Paul's really talking about. And to, to not live that way, that's why he says it here in verse 17 the way that he does. The kingdom of God, it's not a matter of drinking. This is not about food. It, it's about righteousness, helping people know I'm right with God. It's about peace, helping people know I'm at peace with God through Jesus Christ. And it's about finding that joy that we have outside not outside of the law, but uh, under the, the cross of Jesus Christ. Verse 18 says, whoever thus serves is acceptable or pleasing to God and approved by men. That second half, while we would say, listen, I, it's more important for me to be right with God, it's also important because w the context here is live in a way that men as they watch you care about other people. Walk patiently and slowly with other people. We'll be able to say that person is acceptable to me. Their, 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 their motives authentically are right. And so this is what Paul is, is calling the church to do, to really pay attention to the way that you walk with people. I'm going to make this very real for you before we close out today, because I really want it to be. Um, in the church... Um, there are times where we deal with pretty, pretty outstanding examples of what it means to be 
apart from the will of God. And when I encounter somebody who is living a lifestyle that is outside of the will of God, um, how I treat them, how I walk with them is of critical importance. If this person comes to me and they, they say, I'm thinking about having an abortion, everything inside of Luke, everything inside of me goes, Whew, my heart drops out. But if I say to that person, well, that's a sin, and God's going to judge you for that, and there's a baby in you, and that baby in you, you're going to kill that baby, you're going to commit murder. If that's my first approach to that person, <laughs> the world looks at that, and what does it say about Christians? What does it say? I, I don't want that. So what I, what I need to do, I need to be careful with that person. Let's talk about what's happening inside of you. How are you feeling? What are your thoughts? What's going on? Um, there comes a point where can I can I share just a thought with you about about life? I'm not going to push this on you. I'm not going to tell you you have to believe it. But but here, here's just this little scripture that I, I read, and I, I really I want you to read it. I want you to think about it. How I approach that person, they they've got to take a journey, right? Sometimes that journey is a long journey. But how I approach them is of critical importance. It's why, it's why Peter says in 2 Peter that we need to treat people with what? Patience. Patience and respect as we share the, the gospel with, with, with people and sometimes the law with people. Uh, if I meet somebody and they're, they're getting ready to go through a divorce and I say to them, you know what? That's a sin. It's a sin to God. You can never marry again, and you're, you're going to be outside of God's will if you do. And If I treated someone like that, what does the world look at me? Who in, the, who in the heck do you think you are judging this person? If I approach somebody with love and care, you're going, to go, you're going through something pretty hard here. How's your heart? How are you doing? When you look forward to the future, what do you see? They don't need me to judge them. Does this make sense to you? This is what Paul is talking about, is we're all in different places. And sometimes it takes people, particularly new people of the faith, a journey to get where God wants them to be. And um, I like verse 19. It says, so then let us pursue. And uh, the word here is jokamen. Let us pursue things that bring peace. And, and I really, really, really love the word that's used here for, for peace because it's a different Greek word than we typically use. Typically, you know, we're talking about uh, peace. We're, we're talking about a variation on arenos. Here the word is oikodomes. And here's the significance of that word. So let us pursue what it, let us pursue what makes for peace and oikodomes is mutual Mutual upbuilding, it says here, but it's actually one housing. If you were just to very bluntly translate it, one housing. What does it mean for me to pursue you in such a way that I'm able to say we're of one house? We all belong to one another in Jesus Christ. Pursue that, and you're on the right uh, track. Verse 20 says, do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Don't make it about something petty. Everything is indeed clean. It is. 
everything is indeed clean. You can go ahead and have that bearded vulture sandwich today, good news. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble about what he eats. It's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. I've got Baptist members of my family. They believe that it is a sin to imbibe. If you drink alcohol, it is a sin to God. They're living under the law. The Bible clearly would state that what? Wine is not bad, but good. Can I drink in front of my relatives? I have the right to it. It's my right. It's my house. You came to my house. We're going to have some wine. Deal with it. Now, what do I do? They're, they're my Baptist cousins. They, this is where they are. They're stuck under the law. That wine is wrong. It's a sin to do that. I don't serve them wine. I'm not going to put drinks out. I'm not going to drink in front of them. Why? Because I'm going to meet them where they at. They have not taken that, that journey. They are not ready to recognize. No. You know what? This is not wrong before God. Um, again, don't make someone stumble by what he eats. It's not good to eat meat, drink wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, Paul says, keep between yourself and God. Don't, you don't spew your stuff out on the other person. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. I, I'm good with God. I know what God approves. But, verse 23, whoever has doubts, this is interesting, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I'm going to close with this. This, this always interests me. It says, um, the one who has doubts is condemned if he eats. Condemned by who? I have doubts. I, I'm not sure if I should eat those ribs, but now I'm going to go ahead and eat them, but I'm not sure. Condemned by who? Themselves. Look above, right? Look at the words just above it. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself. I'm, I'm condemning myself. I'm like, oh, I, I'm not sure about this. This may be a sin. I, I have doubt in my head, and I should not have doubt. Don't do it if it brings doubt to you. For whatever does not proceed from faith is a sin. And in fact, there are times when someone says, I'm going to do it and I don't really care. Then, then it is sin condemned by God. Let's close out this way. Verse chapter 14, done. And, and really just a helpful reminder of what it means to walk together. All of us in this room walk together in a way where it's not about me and my rights. It's about, I love you. Let's one house together. And I'll meet you where you are. And sometimes that means let's take a journey together because uh, you're stuck. Or I'm stuck under the law. Let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, close out chapter 14, I just, again, think about the relevance of these words for a world that is, believes, really does believe that things are good that are outside of your will. And Lord, what does it mean to walk with people? particularly as they're coming into the church, to take long journeys together in your word in a way that respects, honors, and is patient with those who you love. Lord, give us the wisdom to know that. I just pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.